The emotions aren't really good or bad. We get those labels from messages we learn in childhood. Don't cry. You know, you're not supposed to be angry. You know, that's where we learn those messages. Emotions just are emotions. They're, they're neutral. And so it's really all about what, how we make meaning of them and what we are taught to suppress and or release. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to Social Convos. I'm your host, Diego, together with my co-host, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc, how are you doing this It's December. Wow, it's it's December. I'm in call still for, for Sirifesti, for to the Sirifesta, for the end of the year celebrations in Suriname, which kind it's of... after two years? Yeah. yeah, it's after two years. It's the first time we get to celebrate the end of the year in the inner city this year. And even though I don't have any operational tasks at hand, I do have a lot of communication and PR stuff going on. So that makes it really busy. And yes, for people that are wondering, in Suriname specifically, if you will have Uruyari, yes, it's official. There will be a Uruyari celebration, a public Uruyari celebration. So that's the thing. But I mean, we're keeping with the topic of mental health. So we're excited to introduce a brand new guest today as well. So Diego, do you feel it's time to already introduce our guest? Yeah, definitely. And uh, I was looking at the intro she sent when she signed up and what caught my eye was, she'll, she'll mention this uh, later probably herself, but we're going to talk with a brave, wise woman. What does brave, wise woman. So, okay. So let's, let's get into us. Our guest for today is Jen. And Jen is a master coach who empowers women to reclaim their truth forge a more loving relationship with themselves and live an authentic, brave life. She's also a yoga teacher and she's the author of the new book, Brave Wise Women, Transform the Fallout of Your Breakup break into Your Power. So basically, we're going to learn today how to deal with life situations. And without further ado, let's, let's bring her in. Hi, Jack. How are you doing? Hey. All right, good. How are you guys? Yeah, we're doing great. We were just discussing in the pre-talk that it's still light outside. And for us, that's kind of confusing because for us, it's dark everywhere. But uh, so, so how are you doing this, this week? How is it going so far? Yeah, yeah. It's a big week, big week all around. Lots to do, no rest and lots of new things too. So okay. great opportunities for learning. So, so we're big travelers. So we always want to know, like, what part of the U.S. are you in? Have you lived there your whole life? What, what kind of, okay. what kind of stories, travel stories, would you like to, to, to discuss or tell us? As well? <laughs> All right, beautiful. I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area. I was born and raised in the city of San Francisco, which is kind of a big thing here. Usually, a lot of people will say. I'm from San Francisco too. And most people, you say, oh yeah, where? And they say, well, and I'll name like another part of the Bay Area, but not San Francisco. But I'm tried and true right in the city of San Francisco. I've lived here pretty much my whole life, but I've done a lot of traveling. Yeah, I've traveled to like Australia, to Mexico many, many times. And I have a little story to share about that. Been to Europe, been to Polynesia, French Polynesia, Borea and Bora Bora and Morea. 
And yeah, I'm just, I love to travel and happy to, to be where I'm at right now. It's very grounding. So what's so special about the Bay Area? Because that's one of the, if, if people mention San Francisco, it's usually the Bay Area. What's so special yeah. about that? Oops. It's a very unique city. I think there's a lot of lore, a lot of history here. And the architecture is pretty unique. The hills are very, you know, it's very hilly here and a lot of Victorian homes. And there's also Silicon Valley here. So a lot of tech companies. So there's a lot of like, you know, places where the big companies, Apple or Facebook, those kind of play well made. It's not Facebook anymore, but you know, all the, all the big companies have been headquartered for a while. So I think there's just, aside from the history behind the city and the gold rush era, there's just, you know, and then the hate street and the hippie and the 60s and 70s and all of that. So it's just like, it attracts a lot of people here that are, you know, they want to, they want to come live here. It's a cosmopolitan city. So basically a rich history in a, that has changed a lot over the decades. Yes. Yeah. We're definitely, we're definitely going to do some overrated, underrated thing over. So Jen, we're okay. going to drive to the last 10 minutes, five, 10 minutes. We're going to do some overrated, okay. underrated and get your opinion <laughs> of certain typical okay. things that are from, from the, from the, from the West coast. But, okay. but let's get a little bit into the, into the conversation because you've been personally to a lot. We spoke on Saturday talking a little bit about your own personal development and, and getting into your why basically, like trying to figure out more how you are. And could you tell us a little bit more like your personal experience when you realize like, Hey, this is, I do have to look in the mirror and figure out where I want to go with my life. So, so what kind of motivated or stimulated that, that decision to dive deeper into yourself? Yeah, thank you. It's a great question. I think everybody is on their own journey with this in some way or another. And I would say that my personal development journey started many, many years ago. I first started practicing yoga about 20 something years ago. And I would say that was sort of my first entree into really trying to understand who I am. And over the years, I've dabbled with a lot of different kinds of modalities. So for example, having my astrology chart read or doing an aura reading or, you know, just these various ways and to, to figure out who I am. And as time went on, I started to notice the trajectory of my life, just being one of keeping myself small um, while I observed people around me doing different things with their life that were probably, in some people's opinions, much bigger. And that sort of was like a lingering question in the back of my head about why is this so? And it wasn't until I ended up going through a painful divorce that I started to ask the question, who am I? Like, really, who am I? And why am I the way I am? And so I ended up taking myself down a path of pure um, inquiry and curiosity. It was very intuitive. And I ended up learning a lot about my patterns and my unconscious beliefs and things that were really drivers for why my life looked the way it did. So. I, I want to elaborate on the part of, you know, that the environment you kind of felt small or that, the, ah. that 
you know, looking at what other people do, it's bigger. So just for context, so we're based in Suriname and basically looking outside in, you consider the population here like a, a village, like half a million, a bit more than half a million. If, if you look at California, that's like a few tens of millions, if, if I'm not mistaken. And stacking up on that, as you mentioned, you're, you're born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area, having that you know, such a rich city with all the tech headquarters, has that environment yeah. kind of played a role in enhancing that feeling of kind of you're like a, a small fish in a huge pond and then kind of that, that yeah. having that constant comparison? Like how has that environment yes. influenced that? Yes, yes. Our context is everything, really. If we can even like bump that back up to the family dynamics, Right. So I come on my father's side, there's a lot of prominent people, his lineage, who, you know, singers, architects, artists, famous in the country he was born. And so, you know, we're born into, you know, parental beliefs and the way that they see their children, see life for their children. And not that my parents ever pressured me to do anything, you know, big like that, but you know, these are all parts of the fabric of who we are, where we come from, our lineage. And then, of course, like you said, in the Bay Area, there's a lot of competition here, a lot of people innovating and doing big things. And so on a like on a friend level, for instance, when I look at like the immediate surrounding, I would see people progress in their career in a certain way. Right. And if you are desiring for those things in your life, and you believe that those things are going to give you meaning, then there's probably a likelihood of comparison and saying, well, they're doing big things and I'm doing this over here. Right. So does that answer your question? Yeah, it, it, it kind of yeah. does because like environment can play a huge role in someone's, you know, yeah. the, 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 the messaging you, you, you get. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. 100%. Is there also kind of like a facade, like, like people are like, especially in, in Cali, I think like, it's like, you have to have a successful lifestyle. Otherwise it's like, and we experience this, like our, the, our generation, but especially the new generations, like uh, we have people at work that are like, wait, this person is 16 years old and already a millionaire. What am I doing yeah. with my life? And, and then not taking into context, we already kind of mentioned the context there. Like those, like most people that achieve these kind of successes, it's like, it's a generational thing. So their parents or somebody within their, their family gave them opportunities that otherwise wouldn't, wouldn't be available. But I think there's also another dynamic that I'm interested in. And that's like more of a personal, personal perspective as well, because yeah. being yeah. small, even in, in relationships, whether it's with your spouse or with friends. It's like, to what extent or is it important for you to be considered the successful one in the group? Or is it something like, I don't feel the need for it because I want to serve somebody else. So how does that change as well? And I'm always curious because all, people always say, yeah, something happens in your life. In this case, it was you getting into a divorce and then realizing like, okay, I had to change myself. But then I always wonder what's, what's the first step? Like, is it like a spark, an inner spark that happens? Is it like a certain pattern that you change or even just a routine 
or something small that changes that kind of gradually start snowballing into something big? Or is it just a yeah. drastic change that you're like, from this day on, I'm going to change this, this, this completely. And you, you make the shift. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of a big question. You know, our identity is formed early on, you know, through, through our family our relation with our environment, like we were talking about our context. And we, to the point that you were bringing up, you know, this facade, you know, we end up adopting masks to end up getting our needs met in our childhood, right? When our needs are not met, for example, I became the good girl. So to get my needs met and the good girl who had to perform. So the one who was got good grades, who made her bed every single night, you know, who never had her stuff laying all over the house, you know, we... We're always trying to get our needs met. And there's always ways that our parents, as well-meaning as they can be, right, that, that it just doesn't happen. And so over time, we, we take in information that forms beliefs about who we think we need to be in order to have certain things in our life. And to this point that you asked about, like, well, what's the first step? Well, really, it's... It's a personal question. For some people, it can be a catalyst, like something big that happened in their life. Like for me, mine was the, my divorce. And for other people, it could be something that's just nagging at them, like something isn't working anymore about wearing that mask and operating their life through that mask. And it's almost like there's a seed of, of like a you know, a divine blueprint inside of us, our soul is waiting to be born in some ways, right? And when we wear a mask, we're actually, you know, keeping ourselves from tapping into our, our, our own authenticity. We're not fully expressed in the world. So at some point, it's, it's like we kind of hit this, this roadblock where it's like, you know, something's not really working for me anymore. And I don't really want to, you know, operate this way. And the thing is, is we can take these steps, for example, let's just say you want to lose weight, okay? So you're like, all right, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to start eating chicken every night or whatever, right? But then like, you know, that is great. And sometimes what ends up happening is we have unconscious beliefs about who we are or how we need to be that can interfere with our ability to make progress. So it's kind of a both and, right? We, we need to look inside and look a little closer at the same time that we're also taking steps towards where we, where we think we want to go and start exploring that. What, before we go deeper, how would you describe being brave? What, what is brave to you? Brave is doing things that you never thought you would do and fully stepping into it wholeheartedly, knowing that there's fear there, but the fear is no longer something that holds you back. And for example, being on this podcast, great example of being brave, great example of doing something I never thought I would do before and being excited of, about it rather than terrified. It's kind of stepping out of your comfort zone. It's kind of yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and does it, does this mean that because you know your why you're doing it, it makes it easier to to take that kind of leap of faith that you're able because you're like, okay, I'm doing it for this reason. 
Or is there other internal motivator that helps as well? Yeah, no, for me, in, in the context of my life and where I'm coming from, right, having a why and having a North Star definitely makes it, it makes it more of a grounded experience. I'm connected to it in a different way than if I was just trying something on for size, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting because there's different, I guess, adjectives that, you know, people can use like brave, courage. And then in the context of stepping out of your comfort zone, like, does this have to do with like overcoming your fear or that discomfort, or is it more of a new experience? Like, I know it's, it's always a matter of context, right? Because if, if you, and it depends on how you react to situations. So you can be brave, but the emotions you feel or that someone feels can be the same. And then even if you are brave, there is still fear that plays a role. Even if you are courageous, there's still fear. Even if you're, you know, trying to be empathetic or caring, there is also that discomforting feeling. Like how do the, I, I guess I'm going to label them positive and negative emotions. What's the dynamic between those from what you've seen or what you yeah. experienced? Yeah. Well, emotions aren't really good or bad. We get those labels from messages we learn in childhood. Don't cry. You know, you're not supposed to be angry. You know, that's where we learn those messages. Emotions just are emotions. They're, they're neutral. And so it's really all about what, how we make meaning of them and what we are taught to suppress and or release. So, so for me personally, okay, courage is feeling a lot of fear and, and you've heard the, you've heard the phrase, I'm sure, like feeling the fear and doing it anyway. And I think bravery is really something that is a little bit more innate inside of us. Like we all have the capacity to be brave and we're when hard pressed for it, we will, we will just be brave. We'll just do it. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, but I'm happy to elaborate a few, if you're interested. Yeah. No, the, the reason I'm bringing this up, cause I'm a huge Tim Ferriss, like, yeah, basically his books and content kind of guided my trajectory in life generally. And one of the topics he talks about, there's a TED talk about this is it's concept about fear setting. Mm -hmm. And basically when he needs to make decisions, big decisions, especially it can be small decisions. He goes down like, what's the word? The exercise basically is what's the worst that could happen? If this were to happen, what's the worst that could happen? And then by writing all those fears and objectively reflecting on that, the, the, yeah. the, the feeling kind of diminishes it because like, Oh, that's the word that could happen. Yeah. You didn't get a job, a new opportunity opens up. So that's why I, I was trying to kind of see that dynamic between fear and in, in this case, bravery or courage, but yeah. 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 Well, it, what's interesting is that the emotion and this feeling in the body around like anxiety and fear is also the same feeling in the body that we have when we're excited. Right. So again, it comes down to like, what are, what are we making it mean? 
you know, and yeah, what are those worst case scenarios that can happen? You know, forgetting what you're going to say or, you know, being laughed at by your friends or, you know, these are all things that will raise our anxiety. And we have to ask ourselves what's really true. Is it really true that all your friends are going to laugh and not want to be your friend anymore? You know, <laughs> is it really true? You know, and then the other thing is like our relationship to failure. You know, a lot of us get the message, and I guess it's true for me, that, you know, it wasn't okay to fail. Like, failing is not a good thing. Like, it's going to feel like death if I fail. You know, the worst things can happen. And maybe things did happen in childhood for some people where, you know, failure was punished in a certain way, right? But if we look at failure, like opportunities to learn, right, then it takes away, it's like sort of reframing really what is failure and sort of decreasing that level of anxiety that runs through the body when we're feeling fear. Okay. I want to make a quick bridge here. I do love the fact that you say that emotions are like neutral and it's, it's like how we go about it. I, I, that's definitely something I'm going to remember from now. But <laughs> I also want to talk a little bit about failure because I'm going to make a quick bridge. So there's a, quite a famous epic rap battles of history between Thomas Edison and uh, I'm going to help you out here, that's Nikola Tesla. And, and I think there's a famous quote by Edison that says, I haven't failed. I've just found 10 dollars of the ways that don't work. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a really strong premise and that it, the, the quote, it kind of loses its value because the, the way he found it to work was steal ideas and inventions from others. But <laughs> aside, from, aside from that, the reason why I bring that up, because I find it interesting, is what's wise? Because we've just discussed brave. And now what's, what's wise? Because if you say like emotions are, are neutral, we get kind of impulses from different spaces. So you need a little bit of wisdom to guide yourself in your life. For you, what, yeah. what, why does, what does wise imply for you? Yeah. Wisdom implies that we're learning from our choices and that there's always a lesson. Everything around us is a teacher. Okay. What we have in our life, what we don't have in our life, what happens to us, what doesn't happen to us, who's in our life, relationships, everything around us is, is here to teach us. And if we're not looking at life that way and not looking for the lessons in our choices, then we aren't really sort of, we're sort of like not able to develop that, that knowledge, that, that wisdom that comes from, you know, having had that experience or having, you know, learned about whatever didn't happen to us that we wish we, that we wish happened. I loved how you framed it, like wisdom is basically based on the things we've experienced because, yeah, knowledge is one thing. Wisdom is knowing how to apply that knowledge yeah. and, you know, yeah. how to integrate it. And basically yeah. the other word that immediately comes to mind, because we're playing with a lot of descriptive words here, like it's intuition. And then yeah. with wisdom or wisdom, then you People usually call it a gut feeling, right? Because you, you see something happening, but your intuition says that. But can you make the bridge between intuition and wisdom and how people can, I guess, 
develop that that intuition to make more sensible choices, so to speak. Doesn't yeah. have to be the correct choice, but you know, the more sensible choice. Yeah. So are wisdom and intuition mutually exclusive? <laughs> I would say mutually exclusive, being there's no overlap. No, I I would say there there's an overlap. There, yeah. In, in most cases, yeah, there should be an overlap. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And I would say that that there's some truth in that, at least for me, right? What's true for you may may not be true for me or for Jean Luc, but intuition is something i believe we all have some of us have more of a connection to it than others and i am on a journey with my own intuition and really beginning to trust it whereas before i didn't really trust it i had a lot of anxiety a lot of doubt a lot of asking other people for their opinion because i couldn't trust my own answers and it's been especially in the past year that I've really been able to tap into intuition and learning to trust myself and allowing that to be a guide. So, you know, there's different wisdom centers in the body from my perspective, right? There's what happens in the head and then there's what everything else happens below the, the head. And we're such a society that is constantly taking in information. We're on our phones, we're absorbing news, we're, we're just we're constantly living through our head and we don't give ourselves time. You know, it's a society that values productivity. So, you know, we don't always give ourselves, and of course I'm speaking in gross generalizations because there are people out there who do take a lot of time to really tap in, go inside and really, you know, for example, they might meditate, right? So there is some truth to removing some distractions from your life and getting quiet with yourself and trusting and listening, listening for what is trying to speak through you. Intuition isn't fear. It's not something that, you know, has a lot of anxiety around it. It just sort of is. It's, it's, it's almost neutral. It's something inside of you that you're like, yeah, I know that feels right, you know? So I'll give you an example. One of the biggest decisions I've made for my life right now is I'm going to move to another country. And that decision would normally in the past have been something like calling all my friends. What do you think? Oh my God, do the research. Where am I, you know, what does this mean? How do I go about doing that? Et cetera, et cetera. Whereas in this particular case for me, I just had an intuitive hit, like, no, this is happening. This is, I'm supposed to go down there and I'm going to go, I'm going to go do it for this much time. And I just decided for the first time in my life, I just acted completely on, on intuition and I was able to manifest a place to stay. And now, and I'm not looking back, like that's, this is what's happening. I'm going to go live here for the next three months. And, and I'm actually excited about it. So, but it took a lot for me to kind of get there. That's a process. That's not something that, you know, I probably would have been able to do in the past had I not done the initial yeah. wave of healing that I went on, did on my own. And then of course the work I did this year as well, which was hugely transformative. But in short, it is something that 
we can do all develop over time. Some some people have it are more in tune earlier at the stage yeah. of life, and this is based on experience and yeah, I guess events that happen in your life from which you become wiser, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the thing is, is you know, at least for me, right? It's like learning to trust my intuition. So it shows up in coaching sometimes for me is that I'm working with a client and something comes up and I'm like, okay, that feels, this feels like the right direction to go. And the more I practice stepping into that and the more I start to see like what happens when I do, then I start to collect evidence that, okay, my intuition is something that I can start to trust. And then I try it on again and, you know, just start to apply it, whether it's coaching with clients or, you know, in just my life, interactions with friends or family, decisions I make, you know? So I, I start to wonder now, like what the, because we connected, we often don't use our intuition because of a certain fear. And we've already discussed like parenting and like, not necessarily that, like your, your parents want the best for you. Let's, yes, I want the best for my kids, but yeah. still there will be situations where my children in the future will be afraid to use their intuition because of a social construct that either I, my wife or somebody else created for them. So, yeah. so how, like when you're stuck, you have to first realize that you're a social construct, of course, but like, where, where do you draw the line? For instance, like how much of, of wisdom is, is intuition and how much wisdom is, for instance, common sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I think we all have to decide that for ourselves. I know somebody, for instance, where his gut is very strong and he acts often based off of his intuition and he doesn't he operates from that space primarily versus someone like me that might try to get more information in order to make a decision or have historically operated that way. The way I'm going about it now is, you know, allowing there to be space for both. And, um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, I think it's, it's, it's okay. yeah, the, the worry, the worry, the biggest worry is always the fears. Like, yeah. When you think of it, like I, I took a lot of like big jumps in my life. For instance, I'm 18 years old. I'm a first year. I'm going into my first year of university in Tilburg and I stumble across a marketing association and I see opportunity to go travel. And I'm like, Hey, I want to become part of your student organization just for this project. Is that okay? They're like, okay, there is some fetting process, but I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And I ended up being, being the treasurer of a project at age 18 of a project that was over 40,000 US in total. The budget was 40,000 US in total at 18 year old. And I was the treasurer for that project. And we went to China for a, for a month, a complete month. Amazing. You know, I got to celebrate my 19th birthday in China and I occasionally do these things where I just take leaps for others. Those are like, I'm not going to do that. But then there again, there are like really simple things where I just mentally can't change my mind. And there's 
unknown fear that I just can't change a simple thing in my life because of a fear that I can't even identify. So, so what practical tips do we have for people that, especially if they want to change something, they want to be brave, but they're not even sure what they're afraid of. Yeah. One of so my it, favorite. Go sorry. Ahead. Yeah. I, just to add to that. So is it the fear of the unknown that's scarier or the fear of no, of if you know what it is, but making the change that's scarier? Like, yeah. 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 And potentially the fear of failure too. Right. I mean, fear can be different things for different people. And so one way that I like to, to work with people and, or even with myself is to start to get to know the fear. Cause I think sometimes when we make fear bad or we make failure bad, you know, then it, it has like a stronger energy to it. And so these are different parts of ourselves that are coming forward, something that maybe part, part that wants to protect us from something, right? So it's more about like befriending the fear and getting to know it. Fear can show up in your body and, and it has signals in your body. So getting to know what those signals are and how you feel them. And usually there's a message in the body that will come forward. Like I say, we're used to operating here and there's a whole wisdom center that sits below the net that half the time we're not even in tune with, you know, because we're so busy being productive and doing all the things that, you know, getting quiet and being with what is sitting inside of us ready to, to give us a message is, uh, is, is like a huge thing for some people to be able to, to make that shift. Because I think more, the more that we try to like work out fear in our mind, the more anxious we become. Anxiety is just fear. Right. So the more we start to worst case scenario or overthink, right. Those are, that's all fear. That's anxiety. So the more we can just come back to the body and just explore what is sitting in the body around that. There's other modalities and stuff that I use, but I would say that that is the biggest thing is really bringing the fear in closer and getting to know it. In the context of getting to know your body and the signals it receives, like how does yoga play a role in this? Because you, you just, you mentioned in the beginning, if I remember correctly, you've done yoga for 20 or 20 years. Yeah. Now. Like, and also in the context of, because you also mentioned it's only quite recently that you've kind of been more in tune with your intuition. Like, how has yoga played a role in that transformation in, in understanding these signals in your body? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great question. Gosh, I'm going to have to travel back in time here, but, but, you know, there's a lot that gets stored in our bodies. Emotions that are unprocessed get stored in our body. Trauma can be stored in our body and energy that isn't being expressed gets stored in our body. And the practice of yoga is a body-based experience. So when we're disconnected from our body and now we're starting to, you know, get into these positions you know, we're, at, we're being asked to do a down dog and, you know, wow, my, my knees don't bend because my hamstrings are tight. You know, it's, it's, it can be very humbling, you know, and, but yoga can start to unlock the stored energy and the stored emotions or stored memories that are in the body. 
And so there's a way that, yeah, like it starts to unlock. Like I've had experiences. I don't know if either of the two of you practice yoga, but I know I've had experiences and I know many other yoga practitioners who have as well, where you're in a pose and all of a sudden you just start crying. You just start crying, you know, and don't know where it's coming from. And frankly, you don't even need to. You just need to know that it was time for whatever was being held inside to come out. And so the more that we start to pay attention, because you're constantly in yoga also being cued, put your arms this way, move your feet this way, right? Turn your knee out, you know, so you're, you're being asked to take your attention from here and place it into the body. And for a lot of people, it's the first time that they're really paying attention to their breath, to what's happening in the body, the way they hold themselves in the world. And so, you know, yoga just starts to make those connections a little bit more of a, a mind-body connection. And yeah, I forgot what I was going to say, but but hopefully that's enough. No, I'm, I'm going to jump question. into this because now I want to know, like, people who find yoga boring and are not willing to do that, is that also impartially because they don't want to be vulnerable or, mm-hmm. or yeah, could it, could it be that the fear of being invulnerable and finding out that there's actually something there that will change. How much do you think that accounts for people being like, yeah, I'm not into that? Yeah, yeah, I think there's some truth to that. I think what happens in yoga is that there's a couple things that I noticed. Um, People who don't practice yoga, well, I I won't go to yoga because I can't even touch my toes. That's usually what I care, (laughs) you know, and And the irony around that is everybody who goes to yoga feels that way for the first time. Touching your toes isn't something you do the first time you go to yoga. It's something that potentially works itself out over a regular practice, right? So so that's the first thing. I think that there's there's a fear in that vulnerability, especially if you are someone who compares yourself to other people or you feel competitive. There's, there's that potential for that, that physical vulnerability. The other thing about that is, just like I say, there's that potentially that emotional vulnerability. But I think the entree into yoga oftentimes is not that I want to pra- start practicing yoga because I want to know my emotions. That's usually not the first connection. It's usually something physical. Oh, I've heard it's a great workout. There's a lot of different like layers to what people discover about yoga the more that they practice. And that's the thing about yoga too, is yoga is really a practice that is learning about yourself. Like I, like I say, like if you subscribe to the belief that everything around you is a mirror, right? So even how you practice yoga and how you are with yourself on the mat is showing you something about who you are. And there was a long time in my practice where I, my ego was very present on the mat. I was very, very, because I have this, in my childhood, I learned performance equals approval equals love, right? It's how I got my needs met. I got to be the good student. I got praise from my parents, right? So in yoga, it's kind of a similar thing. Like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, I see all these people doing cool things on the mat and I'm going to do that too. And, you know, I'm going to show them that I can, I belong here. I, I can do this too, you know, and that sort of comparison. And I was breathing really heavily on the mat and it was very forceful, very much like I was, I was asserting my right to be there. And 
it took, and I actually write about this in my book. I talk about this moment. There was one time I was seven years into my practice when a yoga teacher came up to me and said, he just knelt down really quietly next to me while I was doing down dog. And he said, an advanced yogi softens her breath. And I'm like, well, what does he mean by that? You know, I really didn't know. I thought this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, you know, this is what a yogi does. They breathe really loud and they do all the forceful poses and they do all the arm balances and, you know, they move strong and, you know, hard. And I really yeah. actually let that sink in. I let it, I let it really sink in and I start to be, become curious about that. And I started to experiment with like, okay, well, what does this mean? Soften the breath, you know, like, okay. I started to breathe a little bit more softer, a little bit more quietly, a little bit more attention paid on the breath, paid, paid to my breath and less absorbed in my mind with how does my warrior two pose look compared to everybody else, right? I started to really pay attention inside. And what ended up happening is that I ended up developing this like beautiful relationship with my breath where I allowed it to let me move my body on the mat rather than me trying to force the breath and force myself into pose, different poses. I just allowed it to soften, soften how I approached my yoga practice. And I began to see that, that mirroring of that egoic state of needing to compare and needing to compete and needing to show that I belong here and I can do this too. I started to notice that off the mat as well because how we do one thing is how we do everything right so basically so that yeah, small so change in breathing kind of changed the direction of the mirror whereas from from what i'm hearing is trying to assert that external validation it kind yes. of flipped the mirror aside to be more conscious and this comes back to you mentioned mind body connection and i'm trying to link this back to the emotion part uh, from listening to mm -hmm. you. Like mm -hmm. from what I'm getting here or how I'm interpreting it, it, it is like because you're so consciously moving, you, you're con more consciously breathing and moving your muscles in certain ways, it kind of energy that that energy is kind of being forced to activate. Whereas our everyday stuff, just walking, brushing your teeth has been automated in the sense that it has become a habit where while these cells in your body kind of don't work anymore and they just go into a kind of hibernation, if I had to draw that analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does start to impact how you are off the mat. I started noticing just with that one example that I was able to move more fluidly on the mat and I moved to my own pace. I started moving, you know, this feels good to be moving a little slower than the rest of the class. And I was breathing very steadily, slowly. So I began to sort of turn by turning that attention inward on the breath and allowing it to move my body in a way that felt good to me. I started to become more connected to my needs and my wants and, um, and just how I was in the rest of the, started to affect the way I was in the rest of the world. But it's just one layer, you know, there's all, there's multi, we're multi-layered being, right? And that's just one layer. I do want to quickly jump into the 
to the, the thinking in process. Just out of curiosity, what's the person that told you that? Like the breathing thing, was that somebody you looked up to? Was it a random person that you didn't know quite well? So like, I'm kind of interested because I'm also kind of interested in like how people to react to feedback and what, that relationship. what was there? Yeah. Was there something in the relationship that you let it sink in or was it just, were you at a time and space where you were open for, for that kind of feedback? Because I can imagine even from personal experience that sometimes you're not open to that feedback. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to the, to the situation. Yeah, that's, a, that's such a great question. This was a yoga teacher. Okay. And to be honest, it wasn't somebody that I, I practiced with before, but it was interesting that it came from a male and that's, that's like a bigger story, but it, it came from a man who said in the advanced yogi softens her breath. And it wasn't like I say, so it wasn't like I knew him very well or took a lot of classes, trust in his teaching or anything. I would really say in this particular case that it was a time and space thing. You know, I was like ready for it. I think when we're ready for things, that's when they start to appear. You know, readiness is everything to me, right? We can be shown something or told something. And like you say, you're like, whatever, dude. <laughs> you know, like, don't even want to yeah. pay attention. Whatever, sure, I'm not sure. there. I'm happy in my little space over here being, you know, forceful on the mat or whatever. I'm performing. Then, Let you know, me perform. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm performing. I'm performing here, dude. But I can remember at that time too, I, I had just transitioned out of a certain yoga studio and I was experimenting with going to different yoga studios. I was only practicing at one studio for many, many years. And at this particular time, I was starting to branch out and, you know, just starting to want more for my practice, even though I didn't know exactly what that was. Basically looking and for so other experiences, stimulation. Yeah. And other influences. To input, come in. yeah. So I think it was just timing. You know, it was just timing and I was willing to, to look at it. And that was basically coming back to the words, like the, the brave move to do going out there. So I, I want to go back to the actual title of the book, like brave wise woman. So now in, in the complete title, like what is a brave wise woman? And it's funny that you mentioned that, you know, it was a male who kind of gave you that feedback. So. Yeah. Yeah, in, in your words, how would you describe a brave wise woman? Yeah, yeah. So I'd say that a brave wise woman, there's there's a few things. They take responsibility for their healing. They know themselves deeply. They trust the process. They look within for their answers. They shift whatever is unhelpful in their life, whether it's a belief or a pattern. They learn from their choices, honor themselves, speak their truth, forgive, and practice bravery every day. Awesome. Before we jump in to where we can actually read more into this and find out more, we quickly want to do, I think, Diego, there's time for two over under each. Yes, but I actually have one more burning question. You have, you have a burning question that we yeah. would all be and then we get yeah. to, the, to the closing with the book. Because okay, go ahead, Diego. After that beautiful description and uh, of what a brave wise woman is, and I, I want to relate this to, because to 
the, the, the man side. So I've seen, are you familiar with the stoicism? The, the stoic term, it's basically regulating your emotions, kind of being more reactive or not reactive, but assessing the situation calmly and not having outside influences influence you to make rash decisions, right? And from what I followed through history, it's usually men who have this practice. And I, I'm wondering, like, is it different, like how men and women approach emotions and yeah. feedback in that sense? Yeah. Basically, yeah. can women be stoics? <laughs> sure, sure. I mean... I think with men, you know, we're kind of getting more into like, you know, patriarchy and toxic masculinity and so forth, right? But a lot of men get the message in their lives that it's not okay to feel. It's not okay to cry, right? And that men have to be a certain way. Masculine has to look a certain way. And that in a sort of, in an unhealthy way, shows up like control or dominance, aggression, violence, intolerance. So, so back to your question about men and women, right? It doesn't mean that women or female or identifying as the feminine won't also have experiences growing up where they were told their emotions are not welcome or they need to suppress them or any other message that goes along with that. So I think like our relationship to our emotions um, can, I don't think it's like male or female specific, but, and, and non-binary, et cetera. <laughs> but it all comes from like what we learn and what we're told is appropriate. Yeah, this comes back to Sean Luke's. I, I always like when he uses the word, this social construct that has been yeah. developed over the years on how yeah. we want to open a can of worms that unfortunately for today, yeah. we're not, we're not going to open up. <laughs> but, yeah. But, um, yeah, it's a big yeah. topic for, yeah. Sure, yeah. for sure. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to claim to be an expert here, right? Yeah. So on that, but yeah. yeah. Let's go to the over unders. A little more lighthearted. Why don't you introduce? Welcome this. to Overrated, yeah. Underrated. It's basically a concept where we ask you to create a social construct for a certain topic. Basically, we're going to call something out and you get to decide whether or not you feel that it is currently overrated or currently underrated. And since okay. we've talked a lot about yoga, let's start with yoga for weight loss. <laughs> Overrated. Coming back to where you grew up and your hometown, the Golden State Bridge, is that overrated or underrated? Golden Gate Bridge, right? Oh, Golden yeah. Gate. Yeah, go, sorry, Golden Gate Bridge, yeah. I mean, as, as beautiful. A, yeah, because <laughs> that's usually the photos you see, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I'll say it's underrated. All right. Okay. You kind of stole my question there, but that's <laughs> fine. 
I have a tendency figuring to do that. Your, That's why I let it figure, first. Yeah. Figure out, figuring out your North Star. Uh, underrated. That can have such a powerful effect on your life when you find it. Hollywood. Underrated or overrated? Overrated. Are we talking about Hollywood as as the concept or Hollywood Boulevard? <laughs> well, either way. There you go. Doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> Keep in mind, I'm from Northern California, though, so there's that. Yeah, yeah. So how about just just to close close up to go full circle? How much of a rivalry is there between cities in, in Cali? Well, they're totally different cultures, right? And I think because Hollywood has such a huge influence in Southern California, there is a different, tends to be a different mindset down there, let's just say. But who knows anymore? At least that's how it was when I was growing up. Yeah. Okay, and then if you go more down south, San Diego, there's also a different kind of atmosphere yeah. there as well, which is interesting. Yeah. But I think yeah. we covered enough about about the West Coast. So let's quickly <laughs> go back to your book because that's finally the thing you're here. You're releasing your book, Brave Wise Women, yeah. this yeah. December. What can you tell us yeah. about it? What do you want to share as 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 final information before we plug it in and tell people where they can find it? What's one thing you do want yeah. to share about the book? Yeah, my biggest, I'd say the biggest takeaway here is that I really want to encourage other women to start to do their inner work and to look more deeply at who they are. I believe that we all have, you know, an innate curiosity within us that can actually be a teacher if we start to leverage it and ask important questions. And when we think about like the state of the world today, right, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of, of need here for to have more powerful feminine energy in the world so we can start to contribute to healing everything that's going on in this in this world so my book is really a examination of this intuitive journey that i went on to to know myself and ask the questions who am i and do i even love myself and i take people just i just give them a snapshot of the catalyst that sort of led me there and then I share the eight lessons I learned about healing and give each in each chapter, each lesson has a simple practice to encourage people to try to, to really start to get to know who they are. And you can find that on, do you have a website? Where you get yeah, it'll, yeah, December 20th, you'll be able to find it on Amazon. All right. But uh, in the meantime, uh, Jen also has a website that's jenlegaski.com, J-E-N-L-E-G-A-S-P-I.com. And if you go slash book, you can read a bit ahead of time before it drops on Amazon. Yeah, amazing. I'm laughing. This is an inside. Sorry, Jen, but this is an inside because... I'm reading your name and then the last three letters I'm reading smart passive income instead of Wait, what? Okay. <laughs> yeah. The SBI. <laughs> I'm reading 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm reading SPIS. It's more passage info. Sorry. So that's just that's just my marketing brain's kind of like imploding a bit. But Jen, we want to thank you so much for um, being our guest on, on today's podcast. I think there's a lot of great information. I hope that people get the opportunity to buy a book. Like you mentioned, it will be available on Amazon from December 20th. Yeah. You will be able to, to do it. Just a quick question. Is there a part two coming after this? How was the experience <laughs> of writing a book? Yeah, the experience of writing a book was so deeply transformative. It was like, if I would never publish it, I got so much out of writing a book. It was deeply, deeply, deeply transformative. And I healed a lot of relationships, especially the relationship with my father, just in the process of writing the book. He died while I was writing. So it just, I just, I just feel like sharing, you know, sharing my story and sharing, you know, all the things I learned about myself and what it's like to uncover those, those unconscious beliefs and patterns that were impacting my romantic life. You know, it's just, I think, valuable for other people to see how it can be done and it can be done on your own. You can go ahead and, and start today, you know, and start looking at what's not working. Yeah. So will there be a part two? Probably. We'll see. Brave Wise Women goes on an adventure. <laughs> hey, that's a great plug. <laughs> My message has been sent loud and clear. Basically, be brave. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on. It was a pleasure oh. to have you. And with that being yeah. said, I think Shandu. It's time to roll out the credits. As usual, this episode will be released on the website and the podcasting platforms in a few weeks. And we will see you again next week, Tuesday. Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you, Diego, and everybody yeah. tuning in. It was a pleasure. Like Moreno said, it was awesome. And with that, awesome. we close it off. Thank you for watching Social Conflict. See you next time. Bye-bye.